0: Wow, thank you. What a powerful, powerful song that That is. is. A lot of truth packed into that song. Appreciate that. King of kings forever. God will never go away. He'll never get out of your life. He'll never get out of your face. Because he's eternal. He's been here. A powerful statement that he... He just has always existed. He he wasn't created by anything. Has no beginning. Will reign forever. And I hope and pray that he is your king this morning. That he's on reigning and ruling in your heart. We are in Matthew chapter 7. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 7 this morning. And this is the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, and this will be our last sermon on the Sermon of the Mount. So I'm going to cover a lot of ground this morning. But as you know by now, Jesus has a unique way in conveying truth. He has a unique way of poking at our hearts. He has a, a very unique way of encouraging our hearts like no one else can. By arranging words and scenarios and using metaphors and saying things that that pierce us. And sometimes they just really lift our hearts up and, and comfort them where they need to be comforted. And other times he pokes at us and it's kind of like, you know, getting that elbow in your side where he's, he's aggravating and provoking our hearts so that they will stand up and listen because... Our hearts need to hear what Jesus is speaking to them. He's been doing that all along in this sermon, and he will do it again, I think, in these these final verses, these final paragraphs and words that he has for us. And, of course, he does it. He does it well because Jesus, as God knows us so well, he created this thing we call personhood. With all the messy emotions, all the messy beliefs and value systems and feelings and questioning and confusing and convictions. And he created all of that. And not only did he create it, but he also became it through the incarnation. So he knows what it's like to have a human heart, to have human emotions. What we're going to look at this morning, I think what may for some of us may actually be the very thing we need to hear to comfort our hearts. And for some of us, we may just the Holy Spirit may just keep on poking and prodding it has to do with what we might call true spirituality or real Christianity or what's the real gospel message and how do you really believe it? and What's it really look like in our lives to believe the gospel message, because not everything that we see within the umbrella of Christianity, within the umbrella of ministry is actually real ministry. And I hope he's going to open our eyes this morning to the reality that even within the beauty of the church and even within uh, the, the, the priesthood of the saints, there are People among us that are not true saints. There's a lot of fakery to be made aware of. Well, I've entitled this sermon this morning two by two just because I see as I read this passage in its entirety, I see um, that Jesus uses metaphors in pairs of two. There's these two, there's these two, there's these two, there's these two, and he uses these metaphors um, to teach us something very, very important. There's this, and there's this. So there's there's two gates. There's two prophets. There's two trees. There's two kinds of um, Christians, if you will. There's two houses. There's nothing in between. There's this, and there's this. This week I watched um, Murder on the Orient Express movie, and there's a uh, of the famous, world-famous detective, R. Q. Not Hercules, it's Hercule. And he would say something to the effect of, there is only good and evil in this world, nothing in between. So for him, that's how he was so good at life. He was, I mean, at being a detective and solving crimes, because he he would recognize something immediately as evil and recognize something immediately as good. And so Jesus um, lays this before us. And I think, of course, he knows when he's going to land his sermon, just like I know for the most part when I'm going to land my sermon. Might not always be when you wish I would land my sermon, but he knows he's about to wind this down. And wow, what, what powerful final illustrations because he puts... People of all walks in this place where you, you have to make a decision because it's this or this. It's not the in between. It's this or this. And so in his love and compassion, he prods and pokes. With the desire that those within earshot of these words would. Be in the right spot, be ready to meet this king of kings who rules forever. Forever. And not end up in the wrong side. So let's read these verses. I'm going to read from 13 all the way to 29 this morning. Matthew chapter 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. These sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In keeping with the pairs of two or the metaphors of two, I'm going to do two points instead of three this morning. I want us to look at the obvious and then the not so obvious He's contrasting people and things. So, first, the obvious. Let's look at the obvious things Jesus draws us to. We have the gates. Very obvious, he says. One of them is open very wide, there's plenty of room for many people just to go right in there. It's, it's not standing room only, plenty of elbow room. It's, it's really easy. And that wide open gate leads to death and destruction. And then the other obvious comparison is then you have this narrow gate. It's much harder to find, maybe much harder to make your way through it. And not many people actually make their way through this gate. But those that do, they make it through and they're on a path to life. And then the the ones that make it or... Walk through the wide gate while well, it's easy and they're the ones that um, don't make any personal sacrifices. It's just a life of ease. And then the others that make it through the narrow gate, well, they're the ones that are willing to do the hard things and make the hard choices in life and to see things for they, well, what they really are as opposed to those that aren't willing to give up things. They want to live selfishly. They don't care about God, obviously, in this passage. The others care about God and they're willing to put their money and their lives where their mouth is and their faith is. They surrender. And then you have the obvious. We also see prophets here, two different kinds of prophets. We see two different kinds of trees. One tree produces good fruit. The other is bad fruit. fruit. And there's a big difference between this. I mean, between uh, thorns and thistles and then between very delicious ready for the picking ripe fruit. There's a big difference between a wolf and a sheep, right? I mean, if you're out in the wilderness, would you rather, uh, if you're all by yourself, way in a remote area, would you rather hear the growl of a wolf or the baa of a sheep? There's a big difference, and it, it affects us in different ways. These prophets that are either wolves Or sheep. And these false prophets, they do a pretty good job at looking like the real thing. They have it down, but they're not the real thing. They might hang out with the real thing and say much of what the real thing says and speaks. But they're not the real thing. And eventually, not always right away, and that's what's tricky about this. Eventually, you're going to see them by the fruits, but it's not Necessarily, immediately. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Just to think about this comparison between the true prophet. The prophet is someone who speaks forth the word of God. And in some cases, um, speaks in advance what's going to happen. But mostly what the prophets did in the Old Testament is they just kept the message of God coming They tell it again and again and again. They speak forth. But what might this look like for a person to proclaim false things or to be a false prophet in our day and age? I liked what Kent Hughes had to offer us. And he looked at four points of doctrinal compromise or doctrinal tests, and they all kind of rub shoulders with one another. But he suggests first that a false prophet avoids preaching on such things as the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, and the wrath of God. And it's, it's not that he doesn't necessarily believe they're in the Bible or that they're true. It's that he just doesn't bring them up. He doesn't mention them because, of course, they could be offensive. They could be offensive to the people that he's trying to win over and gain, especially to those that are unbelievers. So he avoids them and therefore the sheep under his leadership are ignorant and devoid of very crucial, essential doctrines. He would emphasize God's love as opposed to God's justice. And then along with that, he avoids preaching about um, the final judgment. He avoids preaching about the, the reality of the culmination of all of existence in heaven or hell. again because it's offensive it's not a popular message it doesn't win people very often and by the way two of our biggest Christian cults, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, they don't they, they have a very soft ending by the way if you want a soft ending, if you're on the wrong side there's an option for you. It's not really an option it's a false option. There's no final judgment. And then third prophets, um, false prophets fail to emphasize uh, the, the total depravity of man to emphasize emphasize what Scripture points out that really to the core, though we're capable of doing good things, by our very na- nature, we're rotten, we're evil. We desire wrong things because that's what our nature propels us to do. And it's not that we do We're as bad as we possibly can be. Is that my time's up already? (laughs) But. Scripture points us to our hearts and we have to reckon with our hearts. We have to reckon that, yeah, that yuckiness just came out of little old sweet little me. Where did that come from? My nature. But the false prophet doesn't want to talk about sin and judgment because it's, it's too abusive. I recently um, listened to just a very brief interview of a, a megachurch pastor. Um, I think maybe one of the biggest churches in the world. And this person was questioned, why do you only speak positive things? To your congregation. And he said. Because you know. um, People walk around today. And they just really feel beat up. They walk around. They're beat up. They're worn out. That's true. And they do not need to hear. About judgment. They don't need to hear about. More sin. And how they might be transgressing. They need to be built up. And so this pastor. Only. Only. Preaches the encouraging parts of the love of God. And they you need to know your special value in Christ. And so that's all that they're fed. Therefore. They get just a piece, but not the whole truth, the whole gospel. You see how tricky this is. That person's name rhymes with the big cows that we get all our milk from Holstein. <laughs> if you're wondering who that is, you see how tricky this is. You see how you can only you can only preach or emphasize a few little you. Well, you can create your own gospel, create your own good news out of the big book. That's a sign of a false prophet. Then lastly, they de-emphasize the substitutionary death the atoning death of Christ because, well, if if I need the vicarious death and that really makes me bad and wicked and a sinner worthy of death and I don't really want to go there, I don't want to really think about that. I love being very impassioned about the poor suffering servant and all the love that he has for the world, but I don't want to picture myself on the cross. I don't want to think that I deserve that and he took it for me. It's too burdensome. I like the sentimental value of it, but not to personalize it. So just, I think, wise words for us, for things for us to look out for in our modern day with maybe material or preachers or programs that we listen to. But moving on in our two by two, we saw the gates, the prophets, the trees, and now the two houses he talks about. One of these houses is built on the rock like New Covenant Fellowship. It's amazing. The Bible took our little motto and put it right in Scripture. It got that from us because we're building on the rock. And others build on the sand. And one of them is wise and one of them is foolish. And, of course, the foolish one, a storm of life comes. And the winds beat against that house and it is washed away. And this, this is very obvious things. And we see this in our world. We see this every day. We see people who have built their lives on sand. They've built their lives on on things that are not lasting and they put all of their hopes in it and it crashes and then they don't know what to do with themselves. Maybe they they put all their identity in this and into their marriage. Life is all about marriage. And as long as I can have a good marriage, I can be a joyful person and content or it's all about family. It's as long as I have this job running in this way or as long as I have this much money everything is wonderful this kind of power that I exert or this kind of popularity and then when it gets wiped out they're besides themselves they have they don't know where to turn and it leads to depression and a hopelessness and then if there's any revival it's only I got to get that thing back so I can feel good again and feel meaningful again and then you could watch the whole thing happen again cuz they build it back and then the storm comes it's just sand It's just sand, it just filters right through people's hands. And I think we see this obvious stuff every day. People are either choosing the wide gate, people are choosing to try to make their way into the, the narrow gate, building on the wrong things. Not just people, whole communities can be built on the wrong securities congregations can be built on the wrong securities nations can be built on the wrong identity and securities and we have seen communities fall we've seen nations fall and that song reminded of us of this too nations come and go god reigns forever and great jesus says great is their fall it's not a sprinkle it's a wipe You clean storm. And so you see how Jesus is just poking. Provoking. Hearts here. So he says, be careful. Beware. Beware. What, What gate did you go through? What gate are you standing in? What does your life look like? What are you believing in? What are you trusting in? Be wise in these final words of this sermon. And then I would Wonder if that quite goes far enough, the obvious, the things that anybody could pick up on if you read this text. It comes to our mind right away. But then these challenging words in 28 and 29, when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And does, did that just astound you, what I just read? I mean, are you just knocked The the word for astounding is that they were They were awestruck. They were dumbfounded at this. I mean, they were totally challenged by these words. Very, very strong word. Stupefied. As if it wasn't just your typical message that they heard from the typical scribe who would preach out of God's word. And so I thought, well, what's the difference here? Because it seems pretty obvious to me. And when I read this passage to study it, I read it, and I thought, I hate to say this, but I'm not in. I'm not verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Why? Am I hearing correctly? Am I missing something? So then I wondered about. Well, what about the not so obvious in this passage? If this isn't shocking, so along with the obvious differences, I think in these. Metaphors, there's also some very difficult waters to navigate. There are parts of understanding that require a tremendous amount, I think, of spiritual discernment. It's not always that easy as we would like it to be. Because here's how I want life to work. Just plain, easy, simple. You're either Christian or you're not. So, you know, uh, you know, the guys and the girls who are through the wide gates, real obvious. They're the ones that 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 have all the tattoos and all the body piercings and they cuss and they don't go to church and they don't read their Bibles and they don't really care about God. They're obviously on the wrong path. You know, they don't even listen to Christian music. They don't even know the ocean song. And you just know they're going to hell. You just know it. And then there are those who are very well behaved. And they care for their Bibles. They read their Bibles. They they give money to their church. They attend church faithfully. And they do pray. Maybe even fast. They got John 3.16 down to a T. And they know the ocean song by heart. And you know they're going to heaven. It's just that obvious. But is that what shocks us? Is that what shocks them? Maybe that's not the part that was so shocking in this passage. So, for instance, let's look at the prophets. The way the words are constructed here, yes, in the Greek, these prophets actually were speaking God's word. They believed it. It was their livelihood. There was conviction behind it. So the very same things that you read in your Bible, they're saying. Good things, biblical language, and they sure look like the real thing. Whatever the real thing looks like in your day and age. The trees are both trees. I mean, they I know you have the metaphor of the thorn and the th- thistles, but when you look at the trees of fruit, now we're talking about two fruit trees. And they both have fruit. And they both look good enough to where different peoples are feeding on this fruit. It would be really easy if, if you walked up to one fruit tree and hanging from it was ripe for the picking, delicious fruit. And then you walk up to the other tree and hanging from it is the nastiest, emaciated piece of stuff you've ever seen with maggots hanging out of it. What do you, which one are you going to want to eat? And yet, people are eating from this tree. There, there's something alluring about it, Which one do I pick? They both look good. And the bad fruit you don't know until later on. In real life, when you're talking about spiritual things. You don't see the disease right away. You just see how delicious looking it is. And look at the houses. What's the difference between the houses? It's not the, the architectural design and the. The structural integrity of these homes. has got nothing to do with what Jesus is teaching. It's what they're built upon. It's kind of like, well, what's what's underneath it? What's on the inside? What what's there that you can't see on the surface? See where Jesus is going here. It's almost like he's saying, yeah, there's the things that you can see on the surface that are obvious. But let me t- train you to Learn to look for things that aren't so obvious because if you can't do this, you could be eating from the wrong tree. You could be walking through the wrong gate. And to the naked eye, what do you do with a wolf in sheep's clothing? I mean, really? I mean, if this is what a pastor looks like and you put the coat and tie on and you use your Bibles... He's not talking about the atheist who says, open your Bibles with me because I don't believe a word in it. It's all trash and it's all lies. And then you leave because, you know, man, this is not a real church. You're talking about somebody who respects it. And, and believes it. Whew. Now my, I want to shake and I want to scratch my head. Because I might want to go into that house that that looks like this. I mean, they're they're both nice homes. And this one's got granite countertops. It's been freshly remodeled. It's got more bathrooms than you need. And a big screen TV. And it's a piece of heaven. Till the storm comes. Some things you just can't determine at a quick glance. I mean, I wish it worked that way, but not in this world. Some things you you can't just say, yep, that's true because you had this feeling of warmth. You were drawn to something. True spirituality requires discernment. And there are fakers. There are fakers out there and there are fakers in here. He's talking to the sheep. He's talking to people. He's talking to disciples. And the ones out there are easy to detect. But the ones in the umbrella of Christianity and ministry in the church. That's tricky. And it could be people who think they don't know the difference. They think they're eating from the right tree and they're not. Because they don't know what the real thing looks like. And. Living a fake Christian life can become comfortable. Now to me, I think that's what's so shocking. Because now Jesus is really prodding and poking hearts. Because within Christendom, there are those who are doing a lot of the right things. And saying the things And feeling things. But what is in the unseen realm has never been made right. And so it's really just an act. I mean, imagine you're on the side of that mountain. These people were were astounded, um, astounded. I, I, I see it as tased. It's like they got tased. I mean, it means to be shocked. You ever been tased? You've never been tased? (laughs) I thought you had to get tased in order to use a taser gun. Okay, maced. You do have to be maced in order to use the mace. But you don't have to be tased. But they were tased, like shocked at these words. So what might have really tased them? Well, it's the passage I think that When you read this part, yeah, you you do get some voltage going, I think, in your spirit, in your heart. Because Jesus says this, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father, who is heaven. Okay, you can't just not lip service. I got it. You can't just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and get away with it and not back it up. But what if you do back it up? And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, check it out. Did we not prophesy in your name? That's a good thing to do. Cast out demons. Do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think tase. Man. What effect. That, that have on them? I think at that point, I have to wonder, on the side of that mountain, could you hear a pin drop? Whew. I mean, is that when all of a sudden you heard the crickets? Many will say, and you think, many? Could I be a part of that great crowd that's walking through that wide gate to destruction? You know, when they say, Lord, Lord, because a lot of the commentators, well, who likes this passage? Who likes it? And you want to try to Greek your way out of it. So you look more Aramaic your way out of it. And so you look at the words and yet, Lord, Lord, there's no way around it. This is an emotional believing. This is a person of deep conviction that really means what he says. And when you repeat names in that language, it's 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 to make a point. It's to pour out a heart of compassion and belief. So Jesus didn't just say Martha. He said, Martha, Martha. And then David, when he lost his son, Absalom, he said, Absalom, oh, Absalom, you repeated. And what did Jesus say on the cross as we're about to celebrate Easter My God, my God, it's it's double, man, it's from the heart. And these people are saying, Lord, Lord, from the heart, they mean it. You're my Lord. From my perspective, you are my Lord and they're plugged into ministry. They have something to back it up. They're deeply involved in people's lives, maybe some kind of deliverance ministry, maybe some kind of supernatural stuff. I don't have all the explanations for this, but they are doing the church thing. And yet Jesus says. There was never a connection between us. It wasn't, dear child, you were saved. You fell from grace. I used to know you, but no more. It's. There's never a connection. Connection. You're a wolf. You are a ravenous wolf. You are a worker of lawlessness. Now, what do we do with that? You got this this wolf over here that to us looks really good. And then yet to Jesus is a worker of lawlessness. How do we reconcile this? Remember the whole context of much of what this sermon has been about is... Hypocrites. What do hypocrites do? They they act like what they're not. It works great in the theater, but in real life it's treacherous, it's dangerous. And so these hypocrites that Jesus was talking about, they were doing a lot of good and right things. They're in the temple. They're giving money. They're praying. They're even denying themselves food and fasting to the point of looking emaciated. I mean, that takes a lot of self-control and discipline. Not just anybody can do that. They're very good, moral people striving to keep the Ten Commandments. They're not the kids with the piercings and the tattoos. That don't know the ocean song. These are the pious ones. And they're on the mark as far as anybody can tell. And Jesus pokes at them. Not to make fun of them, but I think, you know, we can make fun. But really, when Jesus pokes at our heart because it's something we need to to know about, he's just loving us. He's not condemning us. He's just trying to show us where we really are. The problem with this whole lifestyle that they've created, it's really a man-made gospel. The problem with it is that they never emptied themselves. They never lined up with the beginning of the sermon Of being poor in spirit. Which means I am spiritually bankrupt. I am impoverished. I stand before God. With absolutely nothing to offer him. And not only do I have nothing to offer him. But I am in desperate need. Of what only he can offer me. Mercy. Acceptance on his terms. They never came to that point. Therefore there was never this. Emptying of self or dying of self and therefore there's no new man, there's no new creation. There was never a spiritual connection. You can't skip steps. You can't, you can't just hear part of the gospel. You can't skip steps of the great plan of salvation of what it really takes. And God lays it all out to make it through the narrow gate. And I think this is shocking to them. It's shocking, and it's shocking to me because it means that there are people among us or in the church that look very much alive and are spiritually dead. Just like the obvious person with the tattoos and the piercings, smoking cigarettes and cussing and stepping on the Bible. Now that's dangerous. Why would somebody live such a fake life. I mean, why would you even entertain the idea of living like a Christian if you weren't really a Christian man? Maybe just a few ideas. One is kind of like friends with benefits. The church, let's admit it. If you compare this community with the community outside, we're much safer. We're just better people to be around. Safer for your kids, safer for your family. Because of the teachings of Christ, hopefully we're more encouraging and uplifting. Hopefully we're going to speak truth to you. Uh, more generous. We take care of each other the best we can financially. We're praying for each other. I mean, it's, it's this atmosphere that true Christianity cultivates who wouldn't want to be a part of that as opposed to out in the world where I'm at school and everybody's against me and everybody's lying to me and my boss is backstabbing me and all my workmates are backstabbing me. and It's just it's a jungle out there. I like this. It's just practically speaking, it's a more joyful, generous, peaceful place to be. It's not as much brokenness and and it's more secure. And therefore, I choose this over that. Not because of a spiritual connection. Sometimes it's just because people grew up in the church. And you know I've always been a Baptist. I've always been a Presbyterian. It's just what we do as families. And I got nothing against it. And I, you got to stand for something. And so I throw my lot with this denomination. Or with this church. My parents have gone here. There's no spiritual connection. And here's the thing. So then why do it? Bottom line. Well, sometimes church, the benefits of church, church is just another way to get what you want without surrendering your life and coming to grips with your depravity. It's just a different way. You can go out in the world and do it obnoxiously, sinful, or you come into the church, you want security, you want safety, you want an idol. You can get it at the church. It's just another way to serve yourself. The hypocrites. Jesus said, you've got your reward. And that word for reward, it ties in with that word for glory. You know the weight. You know that, that big neediness you had. You were so desperate for. The applause of Man. You got it in the church. You got the praise. Rather than out here, maybe on the being a rock star, doing drugs and all that kind of stuff with all your fans and doing it more, you got it right in here and you got it in a safe, moral way. Good job. And you just got your reward in full. When you come and face the judge, there's nothing there. You never saw your sinfulness. You, you never saw a need to change. It's interesting how we, we, we can just go with the flow of things. and say, oh, I see a church. I see people that are more moral than out here. I want some of that. I'm just going step to step in with them and keep stride with them. As if we can just kind of join at any stage. In the progress. So you can have people that are unregenerate right in the safety, in the umbrella of the beautiful wings and the shadow of the church because they, they are just glorying in the flesh instead of like what we sang, glorying in the cross. Using God. is so subtle. Verse 15, that word for ravenous wolf. It's extortionist. It's blackmail. Using people to get what you want. Keller says they're going to make the world give them what they need. And as we wind down, you you really see the true colors because how do they answer? What answer do you give when Jesus looks at you and says, sorry? Sorry. no entering so what do you what do you say to him true colors come out but but lord look what i did ooh sounds so good look at all these things i did man i was right in there ministering with i sleepless nights praying like crazy helping people look what i did Still about them, isn't it? Still about me. Look what I did, Lord. It's been about me the whole time. I just didn't know it until I faced the judge in the end. And Keller goes on to say, religion is saying, I give God a good record, and then it's my way of controlling God and everybody around me. Christianity says, no, God through Christ gives me a perfect record. I lose control as a result. I move out now into life in a completely Different way. What's the greatest punishment here? The shocking thing. Is that. The greatest punishment is to not get Christ. To not have Christ. Think about it. Because when you get Christ. You you get absolutely everything. And more than you ever imagined. And yet when you don't have Christ. Christ. You get all of the bad, even more than you ever imagined, worse than you ever imagined. Everything you don't want to find, find you when you don't have Christ and everything you need, finds you when you have Christ. So. I think Jesus wisely and lovingly wants people to get this straight. To just look deep into their hearts and their motives and ask themselves these kind of questions. Man, what what did I build on? Am I believing in the true gospel and the true Messiah for a true conversion and true eternal life? Where do we stand today? Today? Is it look what I've done? If we're not ready to point to the merits of Christ, we're not ready to face the judge. That's all we can do is point to Christ. All we can do is glory in the cross for our pardon. And I just want to challenge you as your pastor to get this straight. To know this. Because you got me fooled, maybe, but not Jesus. And He's the one we have to answer to. So let's settle that in our hearts and surrender our lives to Him in the good way, in the right way. Give our lives to what? Exalting God. That's why we're here. Give our lives truly to edifying the saints with the whole gospel. And give our lives to taking this good news that we have embraced as a gift from God and sharing it with others. Let's glory in the cross. And pray that God would bless his word to our hearts. Amen? Amen.